It's difficult to overstate the influence Anthony Buglevine has had on the modern iteration of impact investing. He was there at the Bellagio Hotel when the term was coined in 2007. He went on to write a seminal text on the subject along with Jed Emerson and he continues his work through the non-profit finance fund where he eschews the complex finance structures and instead simply works to make capital available to worthy causes that otherwise wouldn't have it. Anthony speaks quickly and I'm sure his mind moves even faster. I did my best to keep up with him in this conversation. He offered some rich insights and it's inspiring to get his perspective on the change the sector has seen in the past decade. So let's dive in. I hope you're enjoying these shorter episodes from the SOCAP conference. Please let me know over email or in the comments and be sure to subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss any of them. For now, here's my chat with Anthony Buglevine. Here we go. We're back. We're still at, well, we're not back. We're still at SOCAP. It feels like I've been here for a long time, but it's only been a day and a half. But I'm very lucky to have Anthony Buck Levine here today, the godfather of impact investing in some ways, literally wrote the book um, many years ago. You know, it's a shame we can only keep it brief today. I'm trying to keep these snappy, but, you know, we've got this big group of people here and the ecosystem, the sector has shifted a lot. But while we could go deep, and I would like to talk about you know, your background a little bit, what are you working on right now? What are the projects that are keeping you busy? It's amazing to be here and to see 1,600 or however many people are at so 3,000. 3,000. I was here when this all began, at least this wave of the impact investing movement. And um, in creating the phrase impact investing in 2007, we did not describe any new behavior. People have been making investments that serve social purpose and seek return for generations. In every culture, there is a precedent that is 100 years old of that basic idea that your investments should not just seek financial return, but also address social issues. What we did in 2007 was create language with the phrase impact investing that enabled the many people doing different parts of this work to gather under a single umbrella and, and huddle together. So they were green investors. They were housing, affordable housing investors. There were people investing in healthcare who didn't see themselves as part of a single movement. And with the phrase impact investing and what SOCAP has been very important part of that movement building, it's a place for people to come together and to see in each other the fact that we're not just doing specific work, but we're part of a broader movement. So it's really exciting to be here. Um, my day job is as an impact investor uh, making loans. I run an organization that's almost 40 years old uh, that makes loans in the United States to mostly nonprofit organizations. They are running free health clinics. They are running food banks, homeless shelters, setting up schools in very high potential but very under-resourced neighborhoods. And what I am doing in my day job is running an organization that makes those impact investments happen. We borrow now $100 million in the last few years from banks, primarily in the US. Uh, and we lend to these incredible organizations whose potential is really constrained only by their ability to access capital. Uh, and the other part of what the organization does beyond the lending is to help bring the power that comes from financial knowledge to the amazing nonprofit leaders who are doing activism in our communities, but who are alienated from that financial knowledge. And it really does constrain their ability to succeed. So. We're running a loan fund, we're running this capacity building arm, and then we try and bring it all together in a set of advocacy around how we as a society could be doing so much better, both from an efficiency perspective and from a justice perspective, if we change the ways in which we resource 
all this, these efforts towards social progress. Mm. And the name of the organization? Uh, it's the Nonprofit Finance Fund. Okay, very good. And is there something, how would you differentiate the nonprofit finance? Yeah, so I think within the impact investing field, we are, in the United States, uh, since 1977, there has been a part of the impact investing industry called the Community Development Finance Industry. And we actually work very closely with the federal government and with the banking system through a set of regulations that motivates the bankers to lend into poor communities. They don't want to do that themselves, so instead they lend to us. And when we then make loans, they get credit with their regulator. And so it's a whole ecosystem that's built really catalyzed by policy, which was the result of a social movement. The, the United States had a very famous civil rights movement in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. One of the last great successes of that movement was a federal law that was passed that requires the banks to lend in poor communities. And that is really what set this whole part of the American impact investing movement up. Um, and so we work very closely with them. We raise money from banks and then we deploy it into these communities. Uh, it's kind of the system. There's about 1,300 of us now uh, certified by the United States Treasury and together we mobilize more than $100 billion. It's a part of the impact investing movement that um, it, it's always been a little bit under explored. I think a lot of people at SOCAP don't know that there's this whole deep history and a real infrastructure for making these kinds of impact investments here in the United States. And can you give us a bit more detail about that linkage with the banks and, and how they take credit for that? Yeah, so uh, we borrow, let's say we borrow $10 million from a big retail bank. Then when I make a loan, I'll give you an example of a loan we did recently. Uh, we have an incredible borrower who runs a nonprofit organization in the Bronx in New York City. Those of you know, the Bronx is a neighborhood within New York City that is um, almost entirely uh, people of color who live there. It's been marginalized for a lot of structural reasons for many years. Uh, and this organization works with young people who have been involved in the criminal justice system. So they are young people who have been arrested, they've either been sent to juvenile detention or um, other forms of interaction with the justice system. And they are a nonprofit that works with these young people and helps them develop a set of capabilities and support within the community so that they cannot be involved in the criminal justice system in the future. Incredibly successful. Where impact investing comes in is they received a grant from uh, the government in New York City to expand their work. And uh, the, the man who runs the organization, an incredibly inspiring leader, said to me, when we received a $2 million grant, we thought our prayers had been answered. Until a month later, my CFO told me we were going bankrupt because the grant from the government is paid in arrears. You have to do the work for six months, then you can bill them. And when you bill them, they're probably going to pay you late. So now you have to run for nine months, you have to run a program until you get paid. But you're a nonprofit doing this incredible work in a very low resource setting. You don't have reserves. So what my organization, Nonprofit Finance Fund, was able to do was simply give that organization a $1 million working capital loan. Uh, that allows them to pay everyone on time, run their program for nine months, and then when they get repaid by the government, we get paid back. So a lot of impact investing gets much too complicated. People talk about fancy capital structures, and we really lose both the human element of why we do what we do, as well as the reality that we don't need a lot of innovation in many cases. You don't have to come up with a fancy structure. Uh, the shortest line between your money and social impact in your community is a simple line of credit to an amazing organization. And that money in the hands of that organization becomes power. And it does so in a very specific way. When I talked to the head of that organization about what our loan meant to him, he said, your loan means that I can spend my time as part of a national movement to end youth incarceration. The goal is to make no child in America have to spend any time in detention instead of lying in my apartment with the sheets over my eyes, ashamed that I couldn't pay my staff on time. And that's the way we really think it sounds like a slogan that money is power, but it really is in a very tangible way. And as impact investors, we are connecting the money that 
depositors are making into the largest banks in America and getting that into this organization on 146th Street in the Bronx, New York, that's what impact investing means to me. It's such a great story, and I'm sure you've got a lot of them. Yeah, our clients are unbelievably inspiring, and they really, in a very practical way, show me what this whole movement can be when we just get down to what we were really about, which was trying to put capital and resources into the hands of incredible community leaders who could do great things, but just for the, for the need of that to happen. And I think it's too often impact investing conversations are about capital stacks, and we turn money into the end of the conversations rather than putting it in its place, which is just as a means to enable these leaders to make things happen. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you do have a unique perspective of this movement, having been there right from the, from the start, a role in founding the GIN, the Global Impact Investment Network, and you know the Rockefellers and the meeting at, at Bellagio. That was more than 10 years now. What do you make of you know, what you see here today? We've yeah. got lots of different people from countries all over the world. You're sitting here chatting with an Australian who's made the trip, people young and old. Does it match your vision mm -hmm. of what you yeah. thought you know, we'd be by? Absolutely. Um, absolutely yes and absolutely no. So what is incredible to me is to walk here and I don't know almost anyone here. And that's incredibly exciting because when this work began, I knew almost everyone who came to the first SOCAP. And you can't have a broader movement unless you create the rolling down the hill effect of people connecting with other people who then connect with other people. And the fact that we have thousands of people here who weren't directly involved in the, in the founding is incredibly exciting because that is another piece of evidence that this really is starting to take on an inevitable momentum. So where we absolutely have been successful beyond our imagination has been in the way that impact investing as a concept has been taken up. Um, I talk to leaders of the largest financial services institutions in the country. And I think in Australia, you've got some real leaders among your asset management industry, people like Christian Super, quite a few of your pension funds. I am told that there is no CEO of a major financial services firm left in the world who doesn't have to have some point of view on impact investing. So that goes well beyond the what we could have anticipated 12 years ago with 15 people gathering in a conference room, that this movement would really, the rhetoric of the movement has really been successful. Uh, the first time that I saw, I, I, when we created the phrase impact investing in 2007, I put a Google alert out on that phrase, impact investing. And an Australian newspaper or blog, I can't remember which it was, used, it, it triggered the, I got a prompt saying this phrase has been used. And I was so excited that I, forwarded that reference to the president of the Rocket Foundation, who was my boss's boss, saying, this is amazing, look what's happened. If you do a search now on that term, it is tens of thousands of references every month now. And there was one month a few summers ago where President Obama, David Cameron, the Prime Minister of England, and the Pope all gave speeches on impact investing. So to go from being so excited about one obscure reference to that I think is indicative of how successful we've been. Where we have not been so successful is the fact that we always said from the beginning, the success of impact investing would not be measured by the take up of the rhetoric or even by the amount of money that was moved. It would ultimately be measured in the, in the contributions we have made as impact investors to solving social problems. And so when I look around the world and I look at climate change that has only accelerated. I look at inequality that is worse in many Western countries than it has been in a hundred years. I look at the rise of nationalism and the kind of reactionary politics that is now so corrosive in America and in so many other places. 
we can't possibly be complacent that we have had the success on the ultimate level we need to measure it on. And so incredibly excited about the basis we've created, but I really think the Global Impact Investing Network has gotten it right when they've talked about what the next 10 years for impact investing is. And the phrase they use is, in, is scaling with integrity. And how do you do both? How do we embrace the fact that the interest of mainstream financial institutions is a sign of the potential for scale, scaling the amount of money that flows, but how do you do it with the integrity that will ultimately be measured in whether we really solve social problems with this capital? That's right. That's right. I mean, it is, you know, the big ship of impact investing is, is getting laden with lots of cash. But it's that question, you know, the, uh, the headlines are often the multi-million dollar fund, but they don't have the headline of the impact. You know, that, that's a few paragraphs down and it's generally not measured very well. You know, this question of impact measurement always comes up and it's been talked about infinitum here. So how do you feel about that, uh, you know, independent verification and all of these issues and it's lots of buzzwords from, I guess, a broader perspective? Do you feel like that's getting concrete? And is that, um, you know, one of the really key issues or do you think that that's just one of many debates? Again, what's incredibly important is that we scale with integrity. And integrity is going to require that the investments that we count as impact investments and that we are proud of are actually making a difference in the world. So on one hand, you can't do that without effective measurement. I think we at the Global Impact Investing Network would focus not just on measurement, but on management. We've actually changed how we talk about this. We don't longer talk about impact measurement. We talk about impact measurement and management. Uh, measurement is a way to look back and prove you have been successful. Management is a way to drive the greatest good from the investments you make. And there's an important distinction there. The ultimate goal is to scale with integrity. We will not get integrity unless we are managing that impact in a very thoughtful way that is premised on deeply committing to understanding the communities we serve and what they measure or assess the impact to be. On the other hand, I don't fetishize any particularly technocratic or analytical answer. Um, I think one of the the thrust in the early days was to try and approach measurement from this perspective of developing the perfect new algorithm or the new version of gap accounting rules that would create a comparable, quantifiable, sort of simple, easy way to do it. And I don't put a lot of my attention into those efforts. Um, I think there's a lot of people who are arguing that unless we have the perfect, you know, incredibly complicated system in place, then we won't have integrity. And I think on two levels, that's not particularly helpful. One, because it's so far out in the future that it doesn't help us become more effective now. And I think the real goal is to just get better every year and not try and wait for things to be perfect. And ultimately, I think there's a danger in the measurement industry that it is largely dominated by um, people with technocratic instincts and lots of education. And what is missing from that whole part of the movement agenda is deeply engaging with the communities that we're trying to serve. And I, I have a simple test for measurement systems. If someone is proposing a way to measure the impact of your investments uh, and you can follow their protocols without ever actually talking to one of the people whose lives you claim you are improving, it's probably a good sign that it is not an effective system. There we go. There we go. Linking to beneficiaries. Yeah, I think that's vital. And, and really, you know, integrity is the word there. And, and that's really the, the shift probably. And that's what we need to drive more in, in financial services generally. Yeah. And, and on that, I'd say um, there are a lot of people who say the greatest threat to impact investing is that we, it'll be done without integrity. That now that we've won the rhetorical battle and people need, financial services firms need to be providing impact product for their clients, that the biggest threat is they will do so without real impact and that it's easier for them to just 
pretend to be giving impact and, and make people happy. I no longer believe that's the biggest threat. I'm more concerned about the lack of urgency. I think we have now created a momentum in this movement that over the right amount of time will actually transform the capital markets in a way that will be exactly what we envisioned. I don't think it's five or 10 years. I think on the current pace we're on, it's 100 years or more. And the question I would ask is, do we have enough time? And that is a different approach, at least for me personally. I don't think I had that same sense of urgency when we began this work. I think when we began this work, there was less evidence about the incredibly small window we have to address climate change. And there was less evidence out there of the real urgency that civil unrest and inequality and the rising nationalism that is not going to slow down creates. So I think I'm less worried about people waiting to have the perfect measurement system to make a move. And I would much rather that people did what they can in the greatest boldness now and realize we're going to figure it out as we go along. Yeah, so important. It's all about time and, and really interesting that that, that pace has sped up. And I think we've seen that in this confluence of sectors that have all come together and sort of have this, this push forward and everybody's just said, we're running out of time. So, and of course, terribly cliche segue, but we've run out of time as well. It's a lovely sunny day here in San Francisco. So I'm going to let you get back out there. I'm sure you've got a lot to do, a lot of people to speak to, but uh, really great to get those insights. I think it's really valuable and uh, hopefully we can touch base again soon. Absolutely. And you know, thanks so much uh, for your motivation to, to put this out there. It's always great to take a step back from the day-to-day -day work and think about where this is all going. And I uh, really appreciate uh, your listeners for uh, having the interest to, to follow along and not just focus on the good news headlines, but really ask, are we making the most of this movement as I think we are all called to do at this particular time in our Earth's history? Good stuff. Let's leave it there. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks so much.